Is the United States at risk of election subversion and stolen elections? Is the key to secure American elections having people of integrity running them? What role can law play in protecting the rule of law in elections? On Season 3, Episode 2 of the ELB Podcast, we speak with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Harris County, Texas Election Administrator Isabel Longoria. Welcome to the ELB Podcast. This is Rick Hassan of UC Irvine School of Law and the Election Law Blog. In today's special episode of the Election Law Blog, we bring you excerpts from a recent conference held at UC Irvine School of Law, held by the Fair Elections and Free Speech Center, which I co-direct with Professor David Kay. The conference was on the subject of election subversion, is American democracy in danger? And the first panel featured Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Harris County, Texas Election Administrator Isabel Longoria. So the remainder of this episode is that portion of the conference featuring my conversation with these two elected officials. Established in 2021 after the contentious 2020 U.S. presidential election, which culminated in the dangerous January 6, 2021 insurrection in the United States Capitol, the Fair Elections and Free Speech Center at UCI Law is unique among U.S. and global institutions in that is dedicated solely to advancing an understanding of and offering means to counter threats to the stability and legitimacy of democratic governments, exacerbated by the unregulated growth of digital media and other technological changes in mass communications. Today's event, Election Subversion, Is American Democracy in Danger?, would not have been possible without the support of many at the law school, including our former Dean Song Richardson, our current Dean Bryant Garth, and our staff, including Colleen Terracani, Rabi Kadri, Aaron Hebert, Anna Eilif, Josh Larson, Marianne Soden, and Christine McGuire. Thanks as well to the Jack W. Peltison Center for the Study of Democracy for co-sponsoring today's event. Why a conference on election subversion? The United States faces a serious risk that the 2024 presidential election and other future U.S. elections will not be conducted fairly and that the candidates taking office will not reflect the free choices made by eligible voters under previously announced election rules. Until recently, it would have been absurd to raise the possibility of election subversion or a stolen election in the United States. Few cases have emerged in the last 50 years in the United States of actual attempted election subversion by election officials, leading to a loser of an election being declared a winner, despite other unique pathologies of American election administration, including its vast decentralization. We conduct elections, 10,000 simultaneous elections for president when we hold our elections every four years. The conduct of former President Donald J. Trump in repeatedly and falsely claiming that the 2020 election was stolen has markedly increased the potential for a stolen election in the United States. Millions of his supporters now believe the false claim of a stolen election, and some have pursued bogus sham audits and taken other steps that undermine voter confidence and the fairness of the process. Threats of violence and intimidation have led to unprecedented attrition among election administrators, and some exiting officials are being replaced by those who may not have allegiance to the integrity of the process. Those Republican elected officials who stood up to Trump in 2020 and helped save the United States from a potential constitutional and political crisis have been censured, stripped of power, and challenged for office by those embracing the big lie. Elected officials, election officials, and others 
Believing or purporting to believe the false claim that the 2020 presidential election was stolen may seek to justify subverting future election results in response to earlier purported fraud. This conference asks how big a problem election subversion may be in the United States and what we can do about it. It will begin with my conversation with two election officials, one state, one local, one Republican, one Democrat, on what we experienced in the 2020 election and what we face going forward. Brad Raffensperger is Georgia's Secretary of State, and Isabel Longoria is Administrator of Elections in Harris County, Texas. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So let me start with uh, looking back at the past. Uh, the 2020 election was in so many ways unprecedented. Uh, we conducted an election in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of financial constraints on running elections because of the pandemic, and in the midst of an election where uh, great doubts were cast over the fairness uh, of the election. And pressure was on election administrators, both state and local, in, in probably a way that we have not seen before. It's already so difficult to run an election. It's, it's a huge undertaking. Um, but 2020 has got to have been unique. And I want to ask each of you, starting with Secretary Raffensperger, if you could just reflect on what it was like to be involved in running elections under this kind of pressure, and if you felt that your ability to run a fair election was undermined by all of these external pressures that you were facing. Uh, Secretary? Well, good morning. Well, last year, uh, and really going up to January 5th when we finished our runoff election, we were fighting election misinformation and disinformation. But through it all, when we, even when, though we received threats, my family received threats, and we received political attacks from people from all over the country. Uh, the decision was easy because I leaned into my integrity. I knew that we had to follow the law, follow the state constitution, and that's what we did. There were a lot of people, obviously, the president in particular, who did whatever they could to overturn or undermine the integrity of Georgia's elections in November. In fact, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, he called me in November and asked me questions that I felt were inappropriate, that if you went down that path of reasoning, it could actually lead to throwing out thousands of legitimately cast absentee ballots. Uh, as everyone knows, the president called and asked me to find 12,000 votes to overturn the results. There weren't 12,000 votes to find because we had counted those ballots three times. We'd gone through every single process and we knew that our numbers were correct. Uh, Really what happened is uh, after the June primaries, that was in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we did have some long lines. And then people started talking, the Democrats and major media outlets were started talking about Republicans were gonna try and steal the election. We made sure that we stood up uh, any potential areas. We had an absentee ballot fraud task force. We wanna make sure that everyone understood that we wouldn't have a secure election. And so uh, Georgia has been under this attack uh, many people don't want to talk about this if they're from the other side of the aisle. But when Stacey Abrams ran in 2018, she said she lost due to voter suppression. There were, um, the machine had flipped votes. And in fact, she actually had uh, a lawsuit against the lieutenant governor's race that said there were lost votes. Rolling into 2020, then we had the other side, which was voter fraud. They're really the same side of that coin, which destroys voter confidence. And that's what we need to restore is voter confidence in the process. We have to understand that we run elections. We have 159 counties, that's a lot of counties, second to Texas. 
but our county election directors, they run the elections. They run them with integrity and hard work. And so we made sure that we leaned into the law at all times. If I could just follow up with you before I turn to Administrator Longoria, uh, you and your family faced some threats, threats of violence, both during the uh, election counting period and afterwards. Could you just recount a little bit of, of what you've faced, just so we can all understand kind of what the atmosphere is like out there right now? Well, when uh, President Trump said I was an enemy of the people, well, then all of a sudden we were getting text all over the place. Uh, my personal cell phone was docs and it was out there. So it was my phone was blowing up with uh, verbal abuse and verbal, uh, uh, I guess you call them threats. And then uh, obviously when that filled up, then I started getting just text messages. My wife started getting sexualized uh, text. And then my daughter-in-law's house was, you know, someone came into the house, uh, moved things around. And uh, it just got to be uh, a very dangerous and chaotic situation. Um, ended up with, you know, Georgia State Patrol as a security detail. And we also had, uh, not just us, much as that was shocking, particularly for my daughter-in-law, but we also had election people. We had in one county, Bartow County, went 75% for President Trump, and the poll workers were followed home by people and were threatened. And it just that, that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And no one should ever be threatened of poll work protected. Many of those are volunteer positions. They're doing this out of, of their civic responsibility. And we need to make sure coming into 2022 that we have safe, secure elections and people aren't threatened with their lives. Administrator Longoria, can you talk about your experiences as, uh, and, and just so that uh, everyone who's watching can be clear, Secretary Raffensperger is the Secretary of State for the state of Georgia. Most of the nitty gritty of running elections is happening at the local level, and you're a local election administrator in one of Texas' largest counties, Harris County. Correct. Yeah, Harris County, which encompasses Houston, Texas, and the metro area, uh, and is the third largest county uh, in the United States. And on top of a pandemic, on top of this uh, really just the conspiracy theories abound even before we started voting on elections. Uh, we too were going through a change in that we used to be uh, run by a county clerk for elections and voter registration under the tax office. And it was at that time that the commissioner's court voted to think about creating the elections administration office. So I, in my capacity in November, was there as a senior advisor working on mail ballots, our drive-through innovations, our 24-hour innovations, and getting even more into the nitty-gritty. And so what I experienced in the level of, of carrying out the elections um, is similar to what Secretary Raffensperger was mentioning, is just this complete escalation and tension that had never been there before, uh, where every move from how we were setting up a phone line for voters to report any issues that they saw at the poll, that that was assumed to be partisan. Um, that because by definition of having our office do it, that even though we were trying to collect any reports to investigate those reports with our county attorney and, and officers were appropriate in going out and holding people accountable regardless of their party, just the mere assumption that we were trying to do our job was under question. We were able to breed those innovations, and even during this time of, of extreme kind of chaos, right, and, and conspiracy, we were able to offer drive-through voting to keep folks safe, uh, a method of voting that started because of a pandemic, and then we found 
actually supported Black, Hispanic, and Asian voters. Uh, women were more likely to use drive-through voting versus other forms of in-person early voting. Um, same with 24-hour voting. We saw that from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., the most likely cohort of users of that voting were young millennial Latinos who were coming off of different shifts, as well as medical workers who didn't want to expose people in the public, right, potentially to this deadly pandemic. And so for us, we had two tracks. One, incredibly proud to offer these innovations, to work through them, to make sure that they were held and executed to the same integrity and standards of all our voting methods, and then fighting time and time again, these conspiracy theories, you know, uh, why do you have a signature verification committee? Because the law dictates that we have one, you know, why are you doing these audits? Why do you have chains of custody? Who's who's creating or manufacturing um, the label that you put on the machine? I mean, down to the level of, you know, who's creating the plastic seal that you put on the machine? And are you sure that they aren't um, in the supply chain, manufacturing these, that they fall off of, of boxes. I mean, just, it, it wasn't just about the results. And that's what I want to get at. Campaigns, elections, there's always a loser. The loser is always upset. There's always going to be a question of, did I really win, et cetera. But the difference is that it's now getting into how we conduct the elections, who is conducting the elections. And these conspiracy theories that you can only cook up in movies about the level that people will go through when what we really know is that uh, other than human error from judges here and there, no one is mounting some big conspiracy theory to sway an election other than campaigns who campaign to bias people in order to vote for them. But that's it. There is no large fraud. There's no Russia. There's no China coming in with special ninjas to break into our machines. It is just our undoing in our own conspiracy theories. Um, and I think a long time trend that we've seen too, that government is to be suspected for everything going on instead of seeing us as we truly are. And I'm an elections nerd, a public servant who can think of nothing greater in the world to support free and fair elections through democracy. Let me stick with you and move from the past to the future. Do you see this moment in time and uh, the kind of undermining that Donald Trump engaged in of the integrity of the election as, as a one-off, something that's going to pass? Or do you see things getting progressively worse uh, as we look forward to 2022 and 2024? I think it'll get, it's interesting, uh, two things. One, hanging chats, right? Again, there's always been questions on elections. There's always been questions on results. That is completely natural. And what I want to shift is, you know, in the hanging chat areas, it's always, we know there's human error. We want to double check the results. We want to double check the counts. We want to double check, especially in the, before the time really of electronic machines, that the counts truly came out as, as the counts were supposed to come out. Completely fair question for accountability. And now what we're seeing is even before voting, we had poll watchers. We had attorneys from the you know, Republican parties and, and Trump campaigns coming and asking us, Who's working? What are they working on? Uh, questioning our integrity before there was even a problem to question. Um, and I think that will continue. Interestingly enough, the December runoff elections, the direct offshoot of those November elections, not a peep. I hadn't heard a word from a single person, not a single poll watcher questioning the same exact methods and the same exact voting. Same for the May elections, our local elections. We had we actually doubled our turnout to 7.4%. Historic doubling of turnout in local elections through encouraging mail ballots, by sending out mail ballot applications, by doing drive-through voting, by doing 24-hour voting, by opening access, not a single peep from a single poll watcher from those same campaigns, not a single word. I can barely get the press to cover it so that voters know to come out. And yet we're still talking about last November. 
I have an election this November and we're still talking about last November. We have primaries in March and we're still talking about last November. So I don't know that um, this conspiracy theories will still be applied to future elections. I think that at some point we're going to spin out and tire out and the fuel will be lost on talking about last November. Uh, and all those who believe in conspiracy theories will continue to believe them, but only about last November. Um, and my question is, if you really think elections are being conducted inappropriately, you would think that they are being conducted inappropriately for every election. But apparently it only matters for the November 2020 presidential. Secretary Raffensperger, turning the same question to you. How do you see 2020 in relation to the future in terms of where things are going? I think that January 6th was probably a hinge point. I think when we uh, saw the video of what happened up in the Capitol, I think in many respects, that was almost when we saw what happened on 9-11. That was a hinge point in our history also. And I think that many people after looking at January 6th said, this has gone on too far. And so you have a, a strong pullback and people understand that we need to make sure that we have fair and honest elections, that everyone knows what the rules are, but also at the end of the day, we have to move on from the election and we can't be questioning results all the time. You know, our place to, to really decide who the next elected official will be is prior to that election. When people show up, the election officials are doing their job. They just want to do their job, put their head down, and make sure that they tabulate everything. They have a process. It's a very detailed process. And uh, as was just said, you know, people weren't questioning the process before. But there was a huge misinformation, disinformation campaign, which really destabilized uh, many segments of American society. And I think the challenge that we have as Republicans is that right now our party is really fractured, uh, that many people are looking in the past, and a lot of other folks are looking at the future. And that's not helpful for us. The other side is probably laughing with glee as we fight amongst ourselves and have this Hatfield-McCoy struggle. So we need to look forward. I think that we need to really restore character at all levels. I think that's very important. And I think we also need to restore moral courage of elected officials. I think they stand up and say, no, that was a fair and honest election. And I'm sorry that our side lost, but we need to figure out how we can build a coalition that we can win the next one. I want to stick with you uh, and ask you, just in the context, you, you are an elected official, and and I think over 30 states have their secretaries of state elected as a, in a partisan office. You're going to have to run in a primary. One of the people you're running against in a primary is Jody Heiss, who's a congressman who has endorsed Trump's false claims that the election was stolen. How do you win a Republican primary? It, it seems like you have to tack to the right in order to win that primary. And I can't tell you how many angry uh, emails I've received for including you on a panel on election integrity, despite the fact that you heroically stood up to Trump, you know, it was maybe the most famous incident in the 2020 election, because people have said that you have embraced subversion itself by endorsing the SB202, the Georgia law that is going to make it easier to have takeovers of Democratic counties like Fulton County. And so how do we understand kind of the pressures you're under? And how do we know when, for example, someone is acting out of a desire to deal with election incompetence versus trying to get partisan gain when all of our elections for Secretary of State are partisan to begin with? Well, there, there's a lot of questions packed into that little uh, segment there. But first off, Senate Bill 202, which was our election reform measure, of 2021, we've actually increased the number of days of early voting, mandated that all 159 counties will have 17 days, three weeks plus two Saturdays of early voting. And any county that wants to can have Sunday voting, which is two additional days, that's 19 days. I'll stack that up against New York, New Jersey, Delaware, 
or a lot of other states. So we really stand on the forefront of that. What we also did is we moved away from signature match. And what people need to understand that we've been sued by both the Democrat Party and the Republican Party on signature match. They said it was subjective. And yes, it is. And when I ran in 2018, I said, we need to move away from signature match and move to photo ID using driver's license. That's what they've been using Minnesota for over 10 years. So if Minnesota's been using it for 10 years, we're going to use it. Texas is going to be using it. More states are going that way. It's a red state, blue state. It's a nonpartisan way of being a, of doing your identification of your absentee ballot holders. The one thing that we did is we do have an accountability measure finally for the first time that if you have a county that can't run an election, and in Fulton County, we have reports going all the way back in the 1990s of all this dysfunction. And so if they can't run an election properly, then the state election board can come alongside them. They can replace it, and that would be a strong measure. But they also can say, what is your what is your program that you're actually going to improve this funding for the people of Fulton County? Which, because Fulton County represents 10% of the people, it really impacts the entire state. Everyone is tired of Fulton County's you know, mismanagement and dysfunction. And so there's an accountability measure, but it'll be used thoughtfully with the rule of law, with a due process. They'll have a review panel that consists of one Democrat, one Republican, and our general counsel. So the state election board doesn't want to take over county, but they do want things to be improved. So I think it's a very balanced, measured approach. And I believe that people should understand that's what we want in Georgia is balanced, measured. We want to be thoughtful. We want to make sure that we count every legal vote. So that, I think, answers most of your questions there. But if I missed one, shoot it back at me and I'll well, let me yeah, let me just push you a little more on this. Uh, you know, running as a Republican in a primary against someone who's claiming that, and if you look at the polling, if not a majority, uh, at least close to a majority of Republicans believe the false statement that the 2020 election was stolen, and so uh, I just saw a, a column calling you the underdog, which is unusual for a. It's unusual for a Secretary of State's race to get any coverage nationally, but but calling you the underdog in this race against someone who is embracing the lie. So how do you run an election like that without having to to um, embrace the same kinds of claims that uh, that were being made by Trump? Well, it's very interesting that the congressman that I'm running against, he certified his own race with those same ballots, and yet somehow he did not certify the president's race. And that's a double-minded person. And as a pastor, he should know better than that. But I'm going to stand on the truth. I understand that eventually it all will come out in the wash. It already has. There's a report uh, that's coming out in Maricopa County that says that, if anything, uh, Joe Biden actually got more votes than Donald Trump in Maricopa County after all the months that they've spent on that. But even when you hit people right across the you know, you know, side of the head or the front of the nose, they don't want to believe the truth. And that is, is that President Trump did not carry the state of Georgia. Uh, as a Republican, I was disappointed, but those are the facts. A person of integrity expects to be believed, and when they're not, they let time prove them right. Turning back to you, Administrator Longoria, um, you're in a kind of different position. You're a Democratic elected official in a, in a blue city uh, in a red state. And uh, one of the main things that the recent Texas law that was uh, passed to deal with elections did is strip you of your power to do things like run 24-hour drive-through voting. Can you talk about your ability to run a fair election when it seems like the state is taking steps that are interfering with how you would normally run an election to increase enfranchisement? And also, uh, just breaking news from last night, 
right after Donald Trump said that there should be a quote forensic audit, whatever that means, of um, of elections in Texas, it was announced by someone, since your state doesn't have a Secretary of State right now, uh, that uh, Harris County is one of four counties, I believe they're all Democratic counties, that are going to be subject to this audit. So can you kind of give us the picture in Texas and, and how you think that that potentially affects election integrity? Uh, so I'll, I'll be remiss. I'll make one distinction, Professor. Uh, an elections administrator is a nonpartisan by law position. So I, I can't make any endorsements. I can't donate to any campaign. So whatever my personal beliefs might be, I execute the office in a nonpartisan matter. So just the county attorney would be mad if I didn't make that distinction. Um, you know, innovation is a way of thinking. It's a, it's a belief in the system. It's a belief in improving the system. Uh, famously, one of the new mottos of our office, since the elections administration office, uh, I was appointed in this position November 18th. Um, so just after the November 2020, we're creating a completely new office that combines functions. That's whole point is innovating. Whole point is to make it more efficient, make it more transparent and accountable, et cetera. Um, that way of thinking of innovating, of jumping through hoops so voters don't have to, is not going anywhere. It's sad that the Texas legislature um, that is, you know, dominated by one party could never give me a reason as to why drive through voting was bad for the November election. Again, we hosted it in five elections and no one had a question until the November presidential. Famously, I would go testify in front of the legislature and even the authors of the bill did not know that we continue to use drive through voting for multiple elections, not just November. Same with the expanded hours. Same with sending out mail ballot applications. I, as an official, have the duty to let people know, to educate voters on their rights and eligibilities for voting, including mail ballot voting. So now moving forward, you know, we, we have engaged in this lawsuit. Um, I can tell people about early voting, about uh, curbside voting. I can tell people about their rights and registering to vote, but I magically am not allowed now to talk about mail ballot voting. Uh, and I'm not allowed to send you a letter with a blank application if you are a senior. And when you turn 65, you don't turn less than 65 tomorrow. Uh, and so it's this really odd carving out that is oddly specific, again, to the interim county clerk, Chris Hollins, and what his innovation started and that we continue in this office. Listen, they they knocked down three things that voters love. Um, I think the voters are going to be really upset come next December. We'll still have them for this November uh, for the primaries, for the gubernatorial elections coming up, that they don't have those methods of voting that made it easy, fair and accessible. But we've got other things up our sleeve. Um, there's other ways to promote access. And so the idea that uh, it's almost like playing what's it, the, the smash the gopher with the hammer. Right. OK, so you stop drive through voting, incredibly popular and accessible way of voting. We have other things that we're working on. We're working on voter registration. We're working on making mail ballots easier to use for voters. Um, one of the things, since you're an election nerd, that I'm proudest of in our innovations that has not gotten stopped, uh, hopefully I won't get stopped by speaking of it today, is that on our mail ballots, we used to have basically a 13, 13 to 15% rejection rate average um, because people would put the wrong envelope. So you put your carrier envelope and your mailer envelope, you would sign it incorrectly because it was all three white envelopes that differed only by a fourth of an inch with small black text. One of the innovations I worked on last July was adding colored barcodes, blue, green, purple. You put your mail ballot in the green, you seal it, put that in the purple, sign the purple envelope, put that in the blue envelope, send it back to us. Our rejection rate and our calls for how do I fill out my mail ballot application went down to fractions of 1%. That is a 10% difference. We were able to accept, and because of improvements in our signature verification process, 
We took on a cure process for voters that with SB1, the state is now mandating for the rest of the state. They don't give Harris County credit for that. That's okay. We moved our rejection rate to 0.3%. 0.3% as we increase the use of mail ballot voting. So you want to get rid of the big flashy stuff, that's fine. But I'm an election nerd who's in it to take care of the details as much as the big flashy stuff. So uh, I guess in summation, come and take it because I got a lot more where that came from. Let me stick with you and move away from the minutia uh, and to the kind of 30,000 30, foot level. I love minutia, you know, where I wouldn't be an election law person, but uh, 30,000 foot level. If, you're, if we're trying to protect the integrity of American elections so that the results that are announced uh, are that of a free and fair election without intimidation, without uh, interference. How do you think power should be divided across the local, state, and federal level? Whose job is it, or is it everyone's job and how, to assure election integrity? I'll ask you first, and then I'll ask the same question to Secretary Raffensperger. We have this super divided, weird system, right? So most other advanced democracies, when you hold an election, um, a national election, it's conducted by a national body, but we don't do that here. So we have new challenges about diffusion of authority. So do you have some views on that bigger question? It's good to have checks and balances in a in a democracy, right? You know, at the local, we have the check of the state. The state has the check of the federal. The legislature has the check of the judicial and the executive. There's good checks and balances. I, I, I struggle with this question. I know you pitched it to us because even if we had one federal organizing entity and they were in charge of hosting all elections, you would still, by definition of having such a large country, have to divide it into smaller regions, right, that are executed at a local level by different people. So even though the rules might be the same, you still have to depend on the integrity of any one individual. Um, and I think that's what makes this a difficult question. So um, I think Secretary uh, Raffensperger might join me in that we have to promote ourselves, get to know who your election officials are, not just us, get to know them in the smallest counties and make sure that you believe in their integrity, that the people voted in, um, that ethics and integrity is one of the main questions you ask, not just, to your point, the nerds who like to get into the minutiae. Um, and it's that question, again, of not just returning the concept of ethics and integrity to public service in elections, but can you trust that us as election officials, as public servants are here to perform the duties on behalf of you all as the public and as the voters. So uh, it's a tough question. Yes, you could have equal laws. Uh, you know, it, I'm famously, I'm gone on record for petitioning for that, that I think Texas has gone way in one direction, way in one extreme di uh, direction. And we do need intervention now at the federal level to say, we get you get a checks and balance, but you have gone way outside the meets and bounds of what is average, even for the rest of the country. And so I do believe in checks and balances. Does it always go my way? No, but I respect that we need checks and balances throughout the system. Secretary Raffensperger, same question to you about the proper mix of local, state, and federal rules for running elections and assuring that the results are fair and accurate and that we can hold a fair election. People need to understand that America's system is unique and it's really been, uh, it's worked well over the years. It's very diffused and that's a good thing. When it's all centralized, then you really do need to be even more concerned about if you had an issue with hacking from some foreign actor. But because it's pushed out in Georgia in our 159 county, Texas probably has 200 plus counties, but all the other states, it's a very diffuse process Then really sometimes at the township level or the county level in Georgia, it's 159 separate elections. And the constitution was very clear about that. But here's what people need to understand also about the rest of the world, the Western democracies. When they have a national election for their quote, prime minister or their president, 
then you're just voting for that one office. Take a look at our ballot in Georgia. You have the president. Then you have, obviously, this, the, some U.S. senators, congressmen, and it goes all the way down to your county commissioners that are beyond the ballot, your local county sheriffs, the water and sewer board, all those. You have probably 20 different races on that single ballot. And so it really is more of a local election. And then we just you know, throw the, the presidential race every four years kind of on the top. And that's what really makes the most sense that it's done locally. Uh, in fact, what we'd like to see from the feds, we'd like to see them work on a bipartisan nature. So some of the biggest impediments we have is really being able to update our voter rolls during the election year. And that goes back to the 1993 National Voting Rights Act of 93 that was signed into law. That during an election year like 2020, we in effect were blocked out from updating our voter rolls because 90 days before an election, we can't update our voter rolls. So I think the present system that we have works. I think at the end of the day, our problem really has to get down to the integrity of the people running for office, because I know that our election officials have personal integrity, and I know I'm going to continue to fight hard to have fair and honest elections in Georgia. I want to follow up with that point, because both you and Administrator Longoria mentioned integrity, right? So, uh, you know, I think what rules can we put in place? You know, what laws can we pass to assure election integrity? But so much of what assured that we had a fair election in 2020 was that we had people of integrity running the election. And now we're facing a situation where because of the difficult conditions, including threats, we're having this attrition of uh, election officials. Uh, So starting with you, Secretary Raffensperger, what can we do to assure that we continue to have people of integrity wanting to work in elections? It's kind of a thankless job right now. And and in in some places it could be a scary job. So what is the solution to the problem of uh, losing uh, local, even poll workers, uh, uh, to those who might not have the integrity of the system uh, in, in their heart uh, when they're running these elections? I know our county election officials, and they worked tirelessly last year to have this election during a pandemic. In fact, they felt that they ran a really good, solid, super election. And then we had what happened. They felt really beat up. And so my mission for the next four years, make sure we can restore election confidence. Voters need to have confidence in their local officials. They need to understand that the person that is the poll worker, when they show up to vote, that's probably someone that they met them when their kids are out there at the soccer field. They met them at Kiwanis. They met them at Rotary. They may perhaps at church or some other organization, PTA, that these are your neighbors that are volunteering to be your poll workers. And people trust their friends and neighbors. And so that's who's really running these elections. It bubbles up to your county election official those are people in your community. This is not done for something in Washington, D.C., 2,000 miles away. This is done at the county level. And so you really should feel comfortable about that. But if you people do something that doesn't meet those high standards, then we need to move them out. We need to make sure that when you take that oath, you're going to bring your political leanings, left or right, that you're going to do your job, look down that straight line. You know, that's what's really important is when you walk the line of integrity, we can trust the elections. And my mission will be to restore voter confidence in the election process. Uh, turning to you, Administrator Longoria, what, what do you think, you know, how do you assure that people with integrity run American elections? Uh, again, you know, uh, whether it be elected or appointed, uh, find out who your election officials in is, uh, find out, you know, if you like them, if you like what they're doing, meet with them, et cetera. But uh, an excellent point by Secretary Rappensberger is it's all run by, people, essentially paid volunteers, not technically volunteers, right? But we had about 11,000 people in Harris County run, um, be it election workers or election judges for the November election. Um, 
I am actually pretty ruthless of going through since I've been appointed of going through our election judges specifically and saying, I, I get, you know, old Miss Betty has been there for 30 years and she, you know, used to be um, the primary teacher at whatever school and everyone loves her, but Miss Betty has been filling out her forms incorrectly, has been creating errors that we have to catch when we do our, you know, second and third checks. And maybe it's time for Miss Betty to move on. And so it's having us not only the courage to stand up again at the national level where it's big and sexy, um, but have us uh, stand up even to our local precinct judges and presiding judges and say, you know, I know we might be of similar political affiliations or opposite, but if you're not carrying out the elections, you got to go. Uh, same with our staff, right? Holding ourselves to the accountability of um, one of my famous now sayings in the office is we find problems to fix them, not hide them. And we need to be honest about those small things that come up and be honest with people about the small things that come up and how we fix them so that when bigger things come up, they trust that we have kind of built that trust over time instead of saying nothing to see here. Everything's fine. There's zero errors. There's zero mistakes. There's zero anything that doesn't breed trust. That just breeds, breeds more questions. So there's nothing we can do legislatively to mandate someone's ethics, but there are things we can do in accountability and how we host uh, the elections every single day at the local level to make sure that we are taking the stands we need to make sure that who we select to run those elections is beyond impeachment. And if we need to remove them, we remove them. I want to turn to some questions that have been submitted. But before I do that, just a quick follow up on this to ask each of you if you support the aspect of proposed federal legislation in the Freedom to Vote Act that would give federal courts the ability to protect elections by assuring that election results are legitimate. It would basically create a federal cause of action, turn any election contest potentially into a federal lawsuit. Good idea, bad idea. Starting with you, uh, Administrator Longoria. It's one of those that if I certify it at the local level, I've got to stand by the results of those elections. If something were to trip all the way to the federal level, then so be it. Uh, you know, my my elections are certified and I stand by them at the local level and whatever accountability there is higher up, I, I stand by that accountability. Secretary Raffensperger. Our counties run the elections. They certify at the county level. We certify at the state level. And I'd be concerned about really federal oversight. Uh, it starts... Uh, you know, in many small ways. So eventually, though, there'd be just, I believe, you know, I'd be concerned about additional rules and regulations they put into place. I think what we have right now works. The challenge that we have is that we've been fighting this election misinformation, disinformation. And I think this season will soon pass. As the truth comes out, people realize that the election results were accurate and fairly cast. So you're optimistic that the problem of disinformation is going to decrease? Because I'm quite pessimistic about that going forward. I feel like you know, you look at what hap- what's happened with, say, the response to uh, COVID, and you see that disinformation just seems to be a, a major problem that's exacerbated by its spread on social media. And, you know, of course, we have lots of disinformation about the election, as you mentioned. Why, why are you optimistic that the truth will come out? I think that the American people are good people. I think the American people are aspirational people. And I understand that uh, we are living in polarized times. And that's when we brought in our new voting machines with a verifiable paper ballot. I said, I understand that half the people will be happy and the other half will be sad. But when 100% of the people have confidence in the results, and at some point you have to just accept the results and move on, and then figure out how do I build a bigger coalition? From my side, how did Ronald Reagan build that huge coalition that then we ended up with both Bush presidencies coming out of that? The Democrats can think about their philosophy. I don't care. I'm looking at my side of the aisle as a, when I look and take off my SOS hat and put on my Republican hat. So we have to build a bigger coalition. We have to be happy warriors with a positive, uplifting message that 
that it broadens our base. When we do that, we'll do just fine. But it has to be backed on integrity. All right, we have a, a little under 10 minutes left and I wanna to turn to some questions. Let me start with you, Administrator Longoria. Uh, there's a question about risk limiting audits. Um, what are they? And do you think it's a good idea to mandate them everywhere? Uh, they've been mandated in Texas and here in Harris County, we have joined the uh, voluntary pilot to be one of the first counties doing those risk limiting audits. Um, it, it is a little redundant. We do risk limiting audits, not you know, kind of in that technical definition uh, in the post, but we do uh, logic and accuracy testing, three tests before. We do pre-logic and accuracy and pre-pre-logic and accuracy to make sure that what we're coming up with is true. We do partial manual accounts dictated for every single election afterwards. Um, we have our staff checking all reports that come back from election sites to make sure that judges didn't transpose numbers or whatever it may be. So uh, you want to add a risk limiting audit, which says post-election, you go through and select a sample essentially of machines and mail ballots to count by hand, a representative sample. We already do that. We're happy to do it again if that's what gives people uh, kind of comfort. Um, so it's not that we'd have to do another process. Is Can we all agree then, if it's risk limiting audit, whatever we want to call it, do you agree then that if that comes out and says we did our job, that we did our job? But if it's going to be no matter what you do, I'm always going to think it's wrong you know, those people I'm never going to be able to please no matter what functions we take on. Yeah, I have to say that I think that turning to Secretary Raffensperger, that the hand count of all of the presidential ballots was probably one of the most important things that uh, you did to assure at least most people that the election was fairly counted in Georgia. And yet, um, just a few years ago, there were parts of Georgia and there are parts of, there's still, I think, parts of Texas that have machines that are completely electronic, where there is no piece of paper. And I wonder uh, if, uh, Secretary Raffensperger, if you think that those machines should be illegal, that there should be a requirement that there's paper in order to um, connect, whether it's a BMD machine like you have uh, in, in, in Georgia, where you it's an electronic machine that prints out a ballot, or uh, it's hand-marked paper ballots, which some people think is kind of the gold standard in terms of assuring uh, the integrity of the counting process. When we passed our bill a few years ago, House Bill 316, it gave us the verifiable paper ballot. And that turned out to be a tremendous godsend because now we actually had something to recount before it would have been, like you said, press the button electronically and you would have gotten the same result. And instead of doing a 90% risk limit audit, which would have been counting two and a half million ballots, I raised it to count all five million. And I said, and we're gonna go one step further. We're gonna count them by hand instead of running them through the machines. And the reason I did that is because they were saying that the machines were flipping votes. And so when we did a hand recount, that verified that the, the machines were not flipping votes. It also verified the total count. And I think that was very important. I also could have chosen any statewide race. I chose the president's race because obviously it was the most important. I've asked and we'll be asking the General Assembly coming into the 2022 uh, session that we'd like to have mandated by law additional risk limiting audits for other races, just so we get a better check to build, help build that, restore that voter confidence for other races, not just the, the folks at the top of the ticket, but also a state representative, state senate seat. We think that would really help people understand that we are checking all the numbers, you know, checking the county's work by a risk limiting. It's a great way to build confidence. We have several county election directors that are already doing something like that above and beyond what's required by state law. And I think that's tremendous. Sticking with you, um, as I'm looking through the questions, the vast majority of the questions that have been submitted so far relate specifically to Fulton County. And so I, I already asked you about this, but let me just go back for a minute to this. 
th this new state law, SB 202, allows, I, I think you're no longer on the board that makes the decision, but allows the election board to investigate and consider a takeover of local counties in the event that they're engaged in incompetence in election administration. You've already said that you think that Fulton County has a history of incompetence, but there are a lot of Democrats and a lot of um, election integrity advocates who think that you're doing this for political reasons. How do you assure people that when, say, a Republican Secretary of State wants to have a uh, potential state takeover of the largest Democratic county, that you're not doing this for political reasons, either to help you win election or to manipulate the results in a local county? Well, the Secretary of State's office does not have the authority to begin that review. And the review is done by a bipartisan panel. It has one Republican and one Democrat board member of the election board of other counties coming together with our general counsel. They'll do a deep dive interview and get information. What exactly is your remedial action plan to improve the Fulton County elections? They'll do a deep dive on that. And then they'll come back and report to the state election board. And then they'll consider, are these actions sufficient for us to feel that it can continue on? They recognize that it's critical that they finally fix what they've been doing and fix all that mismanagement. But if they say this is a deficient plan, you're just going to get more of the same, then they may make another decision. But that is the state election board, and I don't chair that anymore. Uh, it is uh, the attempt to, to make sure that it doesn't appear to be bipartisan one way or the other. But you have to have accountability in there. If you find people aren't doing their job right and you can't hold them accountable, then you'll still get the same thing that you've always been getting. And Fulton County, this has been going on for at least 30 years now. And it's time that someone holds them to a measure. We passed another accountability measure that says lines have to be shorter than one hour. Well, in the fall election, lines were shorter than one hour. But now there's an accountability measure that if it lines go over one hour, you'll have to bust the precinct in half, or you'll have to go ahead and add additional machines in the next election cycle. I think that's a good thing. Voters want to make sure that there's accountability that there's a process, the elections are really a pleasing customer experience. Just like when you drive through your favorite chicken sandwich place that has that drive-through that you just have a, it's a great experience. It doesn't take an hour to do that. You also wanna know that you, when you place your order, you know, for your fast food restaurant, the order is accurate. It's very similar. It's just a, you have in the private sector. You want to know that your results are accurate and you can trust it. And so building in accountability is a good thing. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to end by asking uh, each of you, starting with Administrator Longoria, um, if you were the election czar and you could make one or two changes that you think would help assure election integrity in the United States. I know it's a surprise trick end question. Uh, what would you do? Uh, exactly what I plan to do in my five-year plan being here is open up the process so that citizen groups can come in learn everything about logic and accuracy testing and signature verification committee and how we program our machines uh, and essentially bring sunlight into the process, right? Um, that if you have questions, be prepared to learn the minutia, as you said, Professor, and really understand. Um, but if you're speculating from the outside, if you're being a you know, backseat quarterback, um, you're never going to be able to delve in and truly believe us. So uh, if I'm sorry, I open it up to citizen kind of cohorts, like leadership classes, et cetera, to get people more involved in the process. If I could just quickly follow up before I turn to give uh, Secretary Raffensperger the last word. Uh, some have argued that too much transparency is actually a bad thing because it allows for people to start asking these really arcane questions that 
lead you down the path of conspiracy theories and not truth. Like you were talking about the, you know, the plastic band that's that's keeping things closed on the on the election machines. Yeah. Do you think too much transparency can be a bad thing? I'll always stand on the side of again transparency and ethics. Uh, is not just about our actions, but the perception of our actions as well. And so if I can bring more people in, if I can show them the process, if I can answer their questions, and to your point, if you're a conspiracy theorist who's just there to break down every step of the process, then you're not coming in with an open mind. But I think the vast majority of folks I talk to, when I get a chance to sit down with them to explain to them to answer their questions, they feel more comforted by the fact that someone is willing to open the doors and shed light and answer the questions that they hear thrown about in the media and others. Um, so I'm always going to air that more information is good. And quite frankly, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't believe in education. Secretary Ravensberger, last word to you. If you were elections are, what what one or two changes would you make to best assure election integrity? I think that we need to make sure that our counties have the resources to do their job well. And so that uh, typically over the years, the counties have not had the resources uh, to make sure that they had poll workers, poll worker training. So I think that's very important. I also think it's a, a tremendous that we're now going to make sure that uh, monitors of both political parties, when they're there, they can have resources like going through poll worker training to understand their process. So when they are looking at what's happening, that they can have then the confidence and the knowledge that they're following the process. And I think that's very good. I think transparency, I don't believe that you can ever have enough transparency. So whenever we can have transparency, making sure that we don't release people's private information of, you know, on the voter database, but to make sure that there's transparency, I think that's very good. I think our, our mission also to be to make sure that we can restore voter confidence wherever it's been you know, damaged by election misinformation and disinformation that we've gotten from both sides of the aisle in the last several years here in Georgia. And then federal uh, review of the National Voting Rights Act to make sure we can update our voter rolls. People don't understand how dynamic uh, our nation is with people uh, moving. We have about 11% of all Americans move every year. And it doesn't take long before your list really becomes out of date. And so really to be able to update that objectively, uh, that is very important. I think objectivity is very important instead of subjectivity. So whenever we can add and put into the system objectivity, I think that's good because people can't argue with facts, figures, processes that are objective-based. When it's subjective-based, that's when they say, oh, you are doing something that may favor one side or the other. So objectivity will be a very good thing also. And also at the end of the day, this is really an issue for society that we need to become more civil, more respectful, and we also need to make sure that we lean back in those traditional values of character, integrity, and honesty. The LB Podcast is produced with the assistance of the UC Irvine School of Law, but I am solely responsible for its content. The producer of the ELB Podcast is Melody Rowell. The theme music for the ELB Podcast is the composition Jazz by the band Beat FN, used under Creative Commons license. This is Rick Hassan. Join us again next time for the LB Podcast.